Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. All right. What is up, besties? Welcome to another episode of the Best Life Podcast. And we actually just shortened it to the best podcast. Uh, welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Coleman, and Danny J is still on her retreat. Uh, so she's not going to be joining us today, but we do have an interview today. It's not an interview, it's going to be a discussion. Super excited to have Danny Coleman back for the fourth time. This is a five P. Is it? It's a five P. Five times. And look, there's always got to be a Danny on the pod. So Danny J's <laughs> out. I slide in. Danny Coleman is in, who has his own podcast. It's called Take Care Radio. Why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about Take Care? And then we'll talk about what we're going to get into today. Uh, okay, cool. So first of all, let's just get it out of the way. We're a big drizzy. We're big drizzy people. We love a little Drizzy Drake, and the best Drizzy Drake album of all time is called Take Care. So I will just admit publicly on The Best Life that Take Care is derived a bit from Drizzy Drake. Why wouldn't it be? But on the other half of where Take Care is derived from. So it is a podcast for trainers, coaches, and oddly a lot of – not oddly, but a lot of managers as well, like middle managers who deal with people who are responsible for – motivating others, communicating, responsible for influencing behavior change in any way is really what the foundation of Take Care is. And my argument is that it doesn't matter how much you know about whatever it is your expertise is, whether you've taken 100 certifications, so our world of health and fitness, it doesn't matter if you know the thermogenics of food if you can't talk to another human being. Mm. So it's basically like, how do you do, it's the soft skills of coaching. I call it the psychology of coaching. So all those skills that make all that information in your head stick, how do we actually get it to stick in other people's heads? Like how can we communicate it in a way that sticks with them, that actually influences their behavior? And so I talk all about the psychology of coaching. It's so good because I think, you know, I heard uh, Hermosi actually say this recently, Alex Hermosi. He said, you know, people sort of poo-poo soft skills. He's like, the only difference between hard skills and soft skills is that soft skills are harder to quantify. They're harder to measure. Right. And so that's really the only thing that's really different about them. Hard skills is like, cool. How many sales calls did you have? How many did you do close? How many, what was the conversion on the sales page? Like, it's just easy when you look at hard skills like sales, marketing, messaging. But to your point, if you get a client in and you don't know how to speak to them in a way that gets them the results, then it doesn't matter how many sales you make. And so the other side of the coin is really, and you have a, you do have a program of your own called uh, the coaching track, which is essentially where you help people become better coaches. Because that's the thing is like, you know, Danny and I talk about social media. We talk about uh, entrepreneurship. We get into the weeds on that stuff. But at the end of the day, like if you get a client, you have to be able to perform with them. Yeah. Because there's problems. Like we're dealing with people. I remember I was applying for a job and, and it was our father. He goes, you know, you have to have some sort of a system to account for people. Like my job uh, that I was applying for, like I had to do this exercise where they were like, actually build out the program. What would it look like? Like, what would be the problems you would foresee? Like, how do you scale out all this stuff? And he, and I was talking to my, our father about it and he goes, you got to account for people. So people get mm. sick, people miss time, people quit, people get bored, people disengage. Like, what is your plan to, dan- uh, to handle people? And as coaches, we are dealing with people. So they ghost us. 
They don't follow through on their plan. They say they're going to do things and then don't do it. They change their mind. They're doing stuff for a while, then stop doing it. Like these are all normal human things. And working with coaches for so long, I got to see like the visible frustration that would come out a lot of my coaches. Like they would get actually, like they could, it leaks out like mm -hmm. in, in your body language, in your eyes, in the way you treat your clients. And then all of a sudden the client would disappear. And my coach would be like, I'm not sure what happened. And I go, I know exactly what happened. You got frustrated and that kind of leaked out. So you, we start to reverse engineer some of those just psychological cues and triggers that we're sending to our clients. That actually, I think we have a lot more influence over those things uh, than maybe a lot of other people. Yeah. You know, one of my biggest, I guess, pet peeves in the coaching space is this idea that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And like, I, I want to validate the fact that yes, I can't be at your house cleaning out your cabinets, getting out all the pastries and sugar and all that kind of stuff when I have a client. But I think it was John Berardi who said, you can't make them drink, but you can make them very, very thirsty. And I love that because it's like, we do actually have so much, but we assume, I mean, it's to me, it's a level one coaching thing where people go, well, they just don't want it hard more enough. Or like, they're just not committed right. or they're just not, you know, they're not motivated. And I'm like, if they were motivated, they wouldn't need you. Right. And so a lot of what you do is like, it's the art of coaching. It's like how you yeah. say what you say. It's everything from the words that you use to the body language to, like you said, like how your face looks even maybe on some of these calls because people are taking that in whether they know it or not right and it stacks up all those little things like everything that you teach everything that you try to communicate everything that they say to you and how you react like you have a little judgment in there or you you try to place like we talk about like we say there's no such thing as good foods and bad foods like that's what coaches say and then yet they treat their clients that there's good foods and bad foods mm. they're they're putting a judgment on certain behaviors not on purpose not not intentionally and not even like uh what's the word like um when you're just, you do it, you're over the top. Like you, they're not doing it. The word will come to me when we wrap up this podcast, but for shock value like that, you mean, or no, uh, it's not, um, it's not intentionally to hurt people. Like it's not, it's these, malicious, these malicious. Yes. It's not malicious. Like it's just, it's subtle. These little things that it's like, you start to crack the foundation Like you start to crack the trust or the respect in the coaching relationship. And then clients disappear and they're like, I'm not, I don't know what happened. Maybe they just weren't ready. And it's like, actually there's a lot of things that happen in that coaching relationship that I think you probably cause them to go elsewhere or fall out. So I think a lot more onus falls on the coach than maybe a lot of other coaches out there. Yeah. And people don't want that. Right. I mean, I know for me, I'll just speak for me when I first started, I just thought coaching was telling someone what to do. Like I was literally like, I'm a coach. I know more than you, right? Like I have the information you don't. So let me just share the information with you and certainly you'll do it. Here's the food list. Here's the meal plan. Here's the workout program. Right. I don't know what's hard, Susan. It's right there on the plan. Just follow <laughs> the sheet. Just I don't know do why it. it's always Susan too. It's, mean, a, it's Susan it, or Sharon it's or Sharon, someone. Yeah. yeah. It's Susan or Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I will definitely admit that I, I feel like I've definitely gotten better and I always can learn more. Like I'm, you know, I've learned a lot from you and I've learned a lot just from being in the trenches, you know, having, I always say that 2020 was like really the year of coaching because so many things were happening in our world. You know, we had the election, we had the Black Lives Matter movement, we had obviously quarantine and, and shutdown. And I was like, dude, this is the year that coaches really had to step the fuck up. Like if you thought you were a coach before, like this is where you got your stripes is like if you could hold it down in situations like that of this kind of stuff, because this is what was on our clients' minds, you know, all of this stuff and you're in groups and all that kind of stuff. So I, I definitely have learned a lot from you and I've learned a lot just from being in the trenches. But, you know, a lot of what you talk about on Take Care 
shout out. Make sure you guys uh, go ahead and subscribe to that <laughs> podcast. It's so good. I listen to it every week. He Take publishes- Care Radio. What's up? Take Care Radio. Dan publishes every Friday, and they're really good, especially if you are a coach. You're going to definitely want to listen to this in a leadership role. Um, but so much of what you talk about comes down to connection. And that's your big thing. And that's why obviously mm-hmm. Take Care is the name. So I had this idea. You're here in in LA. We're hanging out and we're working a little bit. But I had the idea that we would talk today about just family dynamics. And this is something we talk about sometimes on, you know, because I, I do believe that your family, their blood, you're, you're growing up with them, whether or not you like them or not. You're in the same household, whether or not you like them, your parents are your parents, whether or not you like them. And if you are someone who wants to have a better relationship with your family members, whether those are the people closest to you, and I don't buy into like, well, they're blood. You have to like them. Like I think on some level, I certainly have friends who I consider to be closer to me than some of my extended family. But I feel like if you're, when it comes to your siblings, when it comes to your parents and it comes to your children, you probably want to make the effort to have a good relationship with them. So I thought this could be good because you and I are brother and sister. We have two other siblings and, uh, it, we, so just so everyone knows, Danny and I have the same father, but we have different moms. But I knew I've known your mom since I was two years old mm-hmm. and I have a really close relationship with her. I've always been really close with her. And so, you know, how, especially in like modern family, right, where you have maybe multiple parents and bonus moms and bonus dads and all these people like and, and step siblings and half siblings, how do you, if you want to, how do you start having a relationship with these people? What would you say? And I would say, you know, I'd say we have a really good relationship with, we have really good relationships within our family. I'm sure that there's always room for improvement, but I feel like we've done a good job of cultivating friendships. Um, even if we weren't brother, sister, you know, brother, brother, I think, I feel like we have, we've cultivated good relationships regardless. So what are some of the foundations? What would you recommend to someone who's like, yeah, like I haven't talked to my, my brother, my sister for years and I would love to reconnect. And I don't even know where to start with that. How do you even have these conversations? Yeah. So a couple caveats on this first is like, we're we're reverse engineering this in live time. I, we were joking before we, we turned on the mic. I was like, Dude, I got to, when I do take care, I have three pages of notes ready to rock. And she's like, no, we'll just turn on the mic and we'll reverse engineer like how we have great relationships. Cause we do Welcome have, to the best life. This yes, is what we do. I know. The best pod. <laughs> and, and I knew that going in. And that's why I always get nervous. My armpits get moist every time we turn it. This is a five P armpit, still moist. And we got, so we're reverse engineering this in live time. But so one caveat is like, I'm sure I'll think of my favorite ideas after we hang up. But the other thing is like, I think you said it, but it's like, you know, you don't have to have a a good relationship with your siblings. I think that's important to say, like, it's, it's totally up to you. There's different history. It's so individualized, which is why I think it's, this is challenging for me because I just go, man, like everybody's situation is so different and, and family dynamics and everything is so uniquely, we just, you just laid out ours. Like we're technically half siblings. We never use that word half sister. That's not my half sister, half brother. We have two other brothers. We're all very close. You're very close with my mom. I think your mom is wonderful. Like the, there's just a lot of good, there's a lot of good connections and relationships within all of that. So I think it's really hard to pinpoint that. But one thing I will say to kind of kick this off is just, I do think it's research shows, you know, I'm going to throw some studies in here. Research shows that it's immensely important that you feel like you have someone in your corner if there were to be dark times. So like if you were to come on hard times financially, if you were to come on and if like, if I was to break up with, with my wife, Kels, like if we were to go through a, a divorce and it's important that we each have people in our lives that like we can go to, like to talk 
or financial support or emotional support. So research shows that it's of the utmost importance to have quote unquote family, whether it's your technical blood or not. It's very important to have people in your life who you feel like you can go to when times are hard. What makes you feel like you can go to somebody? Like when you say like you feel like you could, it's safe to go to that person. What are what are some of the things you need to see to feel safe to go to that person? Because there are definitely people you wouldn't go to, right? There are definitely people who are like, dude, I know that. And that's almost easier to identify, like who you wouldn't go to and why you wouldn't go to those people. So what is like, if you had to say, what are some of the, what are some of the characteristics of someone who is a safe, who can provide that safe space for you? I think it's gradual. So I think like all relationship developments, like it's, it's these smaller moments. So I'm going to give you a little, I'll give you a little bit of vulnerability. And then based on how you react, mm. then I'll dip back into my pocket and maybe share a little bit more. So I'm not, you and I, like our relationship goes back so far. That's why it's so hard for me. I just go, man, that's always been like this. So I don't know. So I'm trying to think of like relationships. How do you start to cultivate these things is like, I give you a little bit of me and I'll say like, I had a really hard week at work. That's not too vulnerable. A lot of people go through that. It's pretty relatable. How you react to that will tell me, can I share maybe a little bit of background or a little bit of struggles, uh, deeper struggles that I'm going through? Like, so not only did I have a bad week at work, actually, my boss called me out specifically. And then actually, not, not only that, I actually got fired. So I open up more and more based on how you react to basically mm. just how I say I had a bad week at work. And the, the key determinant of that is like, do you judge it? Right. Do you say like, well, you should and by judge it, you can do that in a lot of subtle ways. We talk a lot about this on my podcast to take care of coaches do it in accidental ways. Mm. So you might just say, well, we'll get over it or everybody has a bad week of work. You just judge my experience a little bit. You just said like it's not OK. You basically just told me it's not OK to have a bad week of work. So do you think that's going to make me give you the next level? Probably not. Right. So I think the first piece is that it's gradual. So it's, you dish, you kind of give someone like, let me just give them a little piece of my heart and to see how, how it goes down. And then you kind of, people go deeper from there. So I think those first initial judgments, and I talk about this a lot in the, the new, the new coaching relationship, like beginners do not handle criticism well, like at the beginning of a relationship to get deeper, like you just got to kind of be radically accepting of the person. Just like, yeah, that's hard. Like you mm -hmm. have to empath empathize. And the problem with empathy is that it's not efficient. It's slow. It's can be exhausting. It takes time. You might have to go back to the well and do it again. So I think the first thing is like being able to open up your flaws and, and this is vulnerability stuff, which I don't always love because I think it went too far in the other direction, but I think it's vulnerability one-on-one. It's like, can I share a little bit with you and can you not shit on me? Can you hold it down for me? Yeah. It's hard because I'm, I'm interested because you did say beginners because coaches, especially newer coaches, which is interesting because you work with a lot of obviously, you know, uh, you work with coaches and you also work with clients. And so I'm thinking to myself, because at JillFit, we're mostly B2B, so we do work with other professionals, and I work with a lot of newer coaches, and oftentimes they are so exuberant in their desire to get the result and to show value that they do a lot of those things you're talking about at the beginning. Like they, they almost, they do kind of take their clients' missteps or, you know, um, their clients' struggles personally. Right. Cause they make it mean that they're not doing a good job. Right. So if they're, if their client says, Oh, well, you know, I overate over the weekend or, you know, I had a bad week at work or I was stress eating or whatever, then they tend to take it on themselves. And so that's where I think some of the judgment can come out because they just want it to be better. Right. So it comes from a good place of like, I just want this to be better. Right. But then, but then that, to your point, makes people sort of turn off to be, to share because now it doesn't feel safe. Cause it's like, wait, I guess I just, 
I guess that shouldn't be, I guess that should not be a struggle for me. Right. And I, to bring it back to the family stuff, if we want to stay on the family yeah. topic, I think a lot of families, they, people feel judged within their family. Mm. And I think that's that you start to feel like, okay, maybe I don't fit here or maybe it's not like maybe they don't get me. And I think that's the start of, of people kind of going elsewhere outside the family. So I guess I'll, I'll turn the, turn it on you. Like, what do you think? Like how, if someone, let's take, let's, Let's take someone specific, a specific avatar. Like someone's like, I would love to be really close to my siblings and we're just not. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Yeah. So I actually believe that in order to deepen a relationship, you have to go first in terms of vulnerability. And that's really hard because vulnerability in and of itself is really scary because someone can take it and fucking throw it in your face. And so I, I do believe with any relationship, if you want it to be deeper, you have to go first and, and almost show people and give people the opportunity to hold it down for you, which is really scary. Right. Cause you're like, especially because sometimes you're just like, I don't think they can. Like we already make the judgment, especially if it's someone you grew up with, right. It's your family member. Oftentimes we are still projecting how we saw our sibling when they were six and we were four or they were 12 and we were 10 and they teased us and they talked down to us and whatever. So we kind of continue to have sometimes, especially if you grew up with somebody like you and I didn't really grow up together. We saw each other on vacations and things like that. But I think if you grow up in the same household, you sort of have these dynamics and it's really easy to bring those dynamics into adulthood. So if you feel like your older sibling was always teasing you, the last thing you want to do is be vulnerable because you go, that's not safe. But I do believe if you want to change that dynamic, and and honestly, we see this all the time with parents, right? We have to get to the, and I think this is a good example for our family because I know both of us are really close to our parents in terms of like, they're our friends. You know, I don't look at our dad as like, our. I mean, I do because I, you know, I still ask him for advice and things like that, but I'm like, we're friends. And I think everyone who grows up and if you want to have a deeper relationship with your parent, you have to, the dynamic can't be constantly in this, like, I know better, you don't know. We have to eventually get to a point where you each respect each other's perspectives and can hear each other. And I feel like everyone who has a good relationship with their older parents, their adult children, older parents, you have to get to at that point. And so I think if you want to have a different relationship with your siblings, you have to release who they were at eight years old, 14 years old, 17 years old, and go like, what's the new dynamic? And if you are the one who wants to have the relationship, you have to go first. And you have to trust, even if you have no evidence that they can, you have to trust or at least give them the opportunity to hold it down for you. You know, and so I think that comes with hard conversations. You know, maybe someone in the relationship needs to go first. Hey, this was kind of fucked up. Or like, remember when we were kids and this happened? Like you kind of almost have to sometimes maybe dig out some of the the past stuff, stuff that happened when your kids didn't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with it then because you just didn't know. And then all of a sudden you realize that you're 33 years old, you're 40 years old and you're carrying that stuff and you're going like, it feels weird to bring up something that happened when you were eight, but like you have to, you know, like otherwise how are you going to move forward? Otherwise you're still going to think the person is that, you know, bully they were when you were six and they were eight. And I think you have to call it out and be like, let's change the dynamic. That's a really good point. That's our, our youngest brother, Connor goes, don't big boy me. And that's what he means. Like, don't big bro me. Like, don't be like, he's the youngest of the four of us. Mm-hmm. And this happened like early on Connor. And I, I think one of the things that made, so there's four of us, you got Jill, Brandon, me and Connor. And we've all kind of, I live with Jill in my early twenties. Then I live with Connor and we were roommates. And that was that point when I was living with Connor, we were both in college and I was, I was like older. I was about to graduate and he's kind of just starting college. 
And he kept being like, don't big boy me, man. Don't big boy me, man. And I, I find it funny now in hindsight, but I just go, what are you talking about, man? I'm just, I'm just trying to help or I'm just trying to have your back. But over time, like I understood what he was saying is like where he was redefining the relationship. He's like, you're not the big brother anymore. Like I don't just idolize you or just look up to you anymore. Like actually like I'm, I'm doing my own thing and I have different interests and, Fortunately, I was able to hear that. Not at first. They had they got me a coffee, or my brother has got me a coffee mug that said, "If you're Danny Coleman, you're always right." In my early twenties, and I was so <laughs> ashamed of that. I was so it. ashamed of that shit. But basically, saying like I was big bro in them, I was big boy in them, and so like that was a really good insight for me to start to be able to redefine the relationship. But you know, you say you have to go first. I'll bring the per- keep the personal stories flowing. Yeah, uh, I moved so this is an example of when you and I started really getting a close as an adult was when I moved in with you and I remember the reason I moved in with you I was supposed to just be for a summer I was a sophomore in college I just kept just making every mistake you could make I made and got caught it was like a both it's like most people make them if they make all the mistakes they don't get caught in all the mistakes like I made all the mistakes and got caught and you're like dude just come come stay with me like just come personal train at the gym get out of the environment for the summer And, but like, I had no problem calling you and opening up like, Hey, I'm struggling like this. I keep messing up, keep doing this. And you didn't, that's where I say like, don't, you can't judge the person because you never judge me. You're just like, dude, I got you. I support you. Come live with me for a while. Like I'll hook you up with a job. Like just get out of that environment. It was super supportive. And it was, I was able to be fully human in front of you. Like all the warts and all, like they say in vulnerability, but you still, have my back. You still love me. You're still supporting me. That was a huge, we always talk about the marble jar as a metaphor for trust. So like you do these little, every time you do an act that's trustworthy in a relationship in any dynamic, you put a little marble in, in the jar. That one act is just a little marble in the jar, a little marble in the jar. And over time that jar gets full and then you can do stuff like whether it's a coach or a, in a sibling relationship, then you can challenge more directly because the jar is so full that mm-hmm. I know you have my best interest in mind. We have so I have so much evidence of these trustworthy moments that if you were to tell me like, hey, I think you're you're kind of fucked up right now or you're kind of being an asshole right now, like a little bit more. I don't know if you can cuss in the best life. I think yeah, you can. Like, Five Pete. Yeah. A couple yeah. cuss words here and there. <laughs> uh, but when you have when the marble jar is that full, you're able to be more direct. You're able to challenge me more directly or push me more. Like, so I always talk about that as a coach. When you you have a full marble jar, you can really coach aggressively. Mm. You can say like that's bullshit, and you can call people out, and people respond really well to that because the jar is so full. So there was all these moments like you actually didn't go first to deepen our adult relationship. I leaned on you, and you acted in a way that said this is okay. It's ex- I, I still love you. I still got your back, and you showed me. So we talk about uh, there's something called responsiveness in the research. And responsiveness is your ability to both understand what someone really needs and act in a way or act in a supportive way. So like, I really need a ride to the airport. Responsiveness is you giving me a ride to the airport, not being like, like most people, when, when someone dies, say in someone's life, you say, let me know what you need me to do. And that's the worst thing you can do for someone who is going through grief, right? Because they're like, now I have to assign you tasks. Mm. Like that's so emotionally exhausting. The best, just cook, just cook this person dinner, send them dinner, right. Or send them things that they need or offer to take their kids to, to work. That's taking proactive steps in what they really need. So that to me, actions like that is what you did for me back 
in my early 20s that made me feel like, oh, this, you do have my back. And then I could be a little bit more vulnerable or I could lean on you a little bit more. And I would go out of my way to make sure I was supporting you because I was like, this relationship is very important to me. So I think we, I think I danced around a lot of things there, but. You know, I think in this, and I love that because I agree with you. I think that when someone does give you the opportunity to hold it down, I take that very seriously, by the way, because I mean, I think I'm very like, um, I do, I, I definitely fucked up my own life. I've definitely had both ex- responses. I've had people who are like extreme judgment. And I've also had like, like you fucked up your life. Like it almost, what's the word? Like almost catastrophized. Like this is just like, like blowing something up. And I've other, I've had other people who are just like, Hey, you're human. Like that's just, this right. part of it. You're doing your best. You're a good person. Like, and so then you go, I've had both experiences. I don't want to be, I know what it feels like to be judged. I know what it feels like to not feel good enough. I know what it feels like to for someone to pile on when you already are beating yourself up. So why would I want to do that to someone else? So I think there's a level of kind of self-awareness that needs to happen because there's moments, I don't know that everyone just comes out of the womb with empathy and like knowing how to hold it, hold space for someone. I also think it's easier probably to open up to your siblings versus your parents for many reasons. Your siblings, it's like, look, we're on the same level, right? It's like, hey, we're both doing our best. Like it's really, it's like, hey, we're in this together almost. Opening up to your parents feels like there's a risk for disappointment. I'm not really worried that you're going to be disappointed in me. No offense, but I just like don't hold you at that, like the level of like a parent where I'm like, I'm trying to get their, their affirmation or I'm trying to get their vying for their approval. So it doesn't feel as high stakes to share with you something that is, that I'm embarrassed about, or I'm ashamed about, or something that, that I fucked up. Like, whereas with a parent, I think you have to really work to change that dynamic. And, you know, um, and I'm sure our dad, (laughs) shout out J. Cole, will probably listen (laughs) to this. Um, But he and I had, you know, like most people do, we have a a relationship, like a father-daughter relationship, father-son relationship. And, you know, it's very much like they know more and they do at that age than you do. But I remember I moved in with dad after I graduated from college. And because my, my mom and our dad divorced when I was two, I grew up with my mom and, you know, our dad lived in Florida and lived in all these different places. And so I would obviously see you guys when you, once you guys were born and stuff. And I always felt loved and I always felt, you know, um, taken care of and appreciated. But when I moved in with dad when I was 22, the dynamic had to change because I wasn't the kid that he knew who was 12 or nine or 15. I was like, I make my own money. And like, yes, I'm living under your roof. Thank you for like paying rent for me. But it was very much like, also, we can't do the kinds of things we were doing. Now we're like, it's it's like moving in with a, a significant other, right? It's like not like, ooh, I'm super excited. Like every time, like you think about you're dating someone and not that this has anything to do with our dad, but like you're dating someone and you see them once every two weeks, right? You're going to like the, the anticipation builds and you wear your best outfit and you like are on your best behavior and all that kind of stuff. Then when you live with, then you move in with your partner and you're like, yo, sorry, these are the, these are the pajamas I wear. And like, this is like, yes, sometimes I don't clean the dishes. And like, sometimes I forget to flush the toilet and like just all that kind of stuff comes out. And so when I moved in with dad, it was kind of like, all right, like we're cohabitating for the first time in our lives. And we didn't have the level. We had never had the amount of conversations that I had had with my mom just by sheer numbers. Of course, why would we? It doesn't mean that I wasn't close to him. It just meant like we had a different type of relationship. So to get on that very close level of relationship, we needed to have some some 
discord, right? You need to have some, not like yelling matches, but you have some confrontations that maybe you don't have to have when you're not as close, like even just geographically as close, you know, even you and I, when you moved in, I remember you were still like a little bit on your like sophomore and college bullshit, which is fine. But like you were, you know, and I just kind of said to you a couple of times, like, Hey man, just so you know, like, I don't know, like that person was waiting for you or like, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but like a couple of times, like you missed a client or like something like that happened. And I was like, Hey, like you got to be there when there's a client at the gym or like, I don't know, it was something like that. And I think you took it in, but we had to have some of those moments that maybe you don't want to have with the sibling because you just see them so infrequently. You're like, it's all good. Everything's great. But then like, you're kind of in a more of a situation. I'm sure you probably had with Connor when he moved in, you live together and someone leaves the shit in the sink and like, you're kind of forced. And I feel like having those conversations that are uncomfortable and getting through it and coming on the other side can actually really make you as, as long as each person is willing to, to grow from it. Right. I feel like those things make you closer. And I certainly left leaving. I lived with dad for six months and I certainly left feeling like we were a lot closer. So how do you do that though? We can go back and forth in this a little bit. I think we both have had tough conversations with everybody in our life, but you know, I think it could be taken as, okay, so what do I do? Just burst in the living room, be like, take this dad. (laughs) Here's everything I've been sitting on. Like how did those things progress was, I actually don't know this. How did those things progress? Because there is a funny story. Like you definitely shifted the relationship during that time. Because once I moved in with you, I'll never forget walking out. We were living together, and I'm walking out the front door, and our dad moves. And if I know he's listening to this, Jay Cole, I know you move, man. You move a lot, and we are professional movers in this family. And I'm walking out Saturday morning. I actually canceled clients because he needed help moving. So I, I'm on. Um, no, this is when he had the garage sale. Not the same one. Yeah, same thing. I mean, he's moving. He's got a garage sale. He's he's got to move stuff. That's right. I killed that garage sale. You're welcome, Dad. <laughs> and we. So I'm walking out the front door. I took time off Saturday morning. You weren't working Saturday, that Saturday, and I took clients off to go help him with whatever he needed. And I'm walking out of the door and you're sitting on the couch in your pajamas, drinking coffee, nice pumpkin spice latte, nice fall day for yourself. And I'm walking out the front door and you're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to help dad. Aren't you coming? And you're like, nope, he didn't even call me. And I was like, what? What is it about me that I'm going and you're not? But it's fun. It's funny. That takes time. Like I, It was still like, father, I think dad would agree. Like it was still father son dynamic. Like. I'm the dad, this is what we're going to do. And I was just like, okay, this is what we're doing. But you redefine that relationship. So how would you say that you started to redefine that relationship? And it doesn't have to be dad, it could be any sure. any of these people in your life. Like what's, without just running in and dumping on them, be like, listen, motherfucker, this is it. Here's the, here's the, I listen to the best life and here's the discord that I need to have with you. <laughs> I mean, maybe that needs to happen. Maybe it does. I mean, you know me, like I secretly like, I like confrontation. No, no. Like not even secretly. No. Because I always feel like we're better for it. I feel like we, honestly, I feel like we're closer. I feel like the majority of the time we, we, we're better communicators. I feel like we're closer as a result. If, if you have a growth mindset, right? If you see it as like, okay, we're actually, we're deepening this relationship. You know, so I think one of the biggest things that, and this is for many, maybe any parent-child dynamic is when someone is a parent, they're like, we're doing what I'm doing. Like whatever it is that I want us to do, we're doing it. And when I live with dad, I actually, and this is, we have, so everyone knows we've talked about this quite a bit. We have a big Irish family. 
We like to have cocktails. We like to drink. We start talking about really deep stuff at two in the morning after like 30 cocktails. <laughs> it's not my favorite. I'm trying to get us, to, I'm trying to get us to be able to talk before midnight. But so anyway, and I think we've gotten better at that, but so at this time, um, you know, the dynamic between dad and I was very much like, we go out. That's what we do. Like I see him on a weekend. I see him when he's in town. I, I go and visit and we have a great time. We have a bunch of cocktails. We got I had a job in downtown DC that started at 6 a.m. And because of the commute, I had to wake up at 4.15. So strictly because of the circumstances of my job that I was, that I had, like he would want to go out the night before. And I literally was like, dude, I can't go out. Right. Like, and I know for him, that was the way that we bonded. And that's still like a big part of how we bond in our, in our family in general, which is we all, we all love, but it was like, I literally can't go out with you. Like I can't stay out till midnight and like have a million drinks and still get up at four fifteen for my job. Like I'm unwilling to do it. And at first, I think there was some disappointment. You know, I feel like there was probably, you know, and probably on both of our sides. You know, I probably would rather have gone out and had a great time because we always did. But I was like, I have to get up at four fifteen. There's no way I can go out. And and it wasn't always stuff like that. But it was maybe a, like a late dinner or maybe it was just like you know hang out with us, let's watch a movie. And it was just like stuff like that where I was just like I had to be in bed by like latest ten p.m. And so there were some conversations where I was like, and and my mantra sort of became, hey, man, I still love you, but I can't do that. Like, doesn't mean I don't love you, but I can't go out tonight. Or like, it doesn't mean I can't, but like, I, I'm not available for that. Because at some point you have to live, right? You have to live your own life. And I think this is this is where you you start going, I can't do, and this is any relationship, by the way, not just a parent's like, you know, child relationship. This is any relationship where you feel like you maybe there's no boundary there. And it's not because our dad was doing anything, right? It was not, it was not like wrong or he was not bad. There was nothing like that. It was just like, there was no boundary there because I was always trying to get his approval. I was always trying to be affirmed and make sure he saw me in a certain way and that I was doing the right thing as anyone wants to prove to their parents that they're doing a good job. And so I think that was hard for me because I did have to endure like some disappointment from him, you know? And so it just became, I, you know, I do love you, but I'm not doing that. You know, I do love you, but I'm not going out. I do love you, but I'm not helping you move, right? Like I do love you, but I'm not, you know, doing whatever it is. And also I'm an adult now, so I'm not going to, I don't know, I'm not going to like do some of the things I would be more willing to do as a kid. I'm not going to go to some random person's house and sit there for five hours. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like I'm not going to go sit at a pub for, you know, eight hours. Like, and so stuff like that, when, as you get older, right, you start having more uh, autonomy and, and it's not that, again, it's not that a better or worse thing or right or wrong thing. It just goes, we have to change the script and the script, we have to change the script of the relationship. And that's any relationship where you feel like you don't have a boundary in place, right? And so it could be even a friendship that you are trying to make this person feel close to you. And then like you start to get close and you're like, oh, I gave up all of my own autonomy because I'm trying to just, or in, we see this in romantic relationships all the time, don't we? Like you try and be the person that you think that person wants. And then you start moving and you're like, oh you start seeing your true colors and you have to show that person at some point. Right. Yeah. I think that's actually the best tool that you've ever shared with me is to go back to, it's like the, I love you and I'm not doing that. Like I think there is when we try to communicate whatever it is, new boundaries or new ways of being, or whether you want your big bro to stop big boying you or whatever, whatever it is that you're, you're wanting. I think we feel like when we tell someone something, that's like, hey, I'm not that way anymore. I'm trying to change or I'm trying to focus on this. Yeah. The person in our life takes that personally. So they think like, 
it means you don't love them or you don't care about them or you don't want to you don't want to carry on the mm. relationship and that's not necessarily always the case it's just that you're just going down a different path now but it doesn't mean that you don't want to take them with you or don't want to walk by be I'll be on the path next door to them or whatever it is i think that line is a really powerful tool it's something i talk about with my wife all the time we use it we use the line together and we also use it like if if I'm having a conversation with someone in my family or a close friend or she's having a conversation with someone in her family, it's always like, I, re- I love you and I appreciate you so much and this is not okay or and I'm not going to do that or and the answer is no, but I still love you. Yeah. And and just that communication tool has been so drastically different. I knew someone would come out of this random ass conversation. <laughs> I was like, once we get going, I'm sure. But I've used that tool yeah. so much. That I think that's a good takeaway. Jill's like, this is just, it's just a business and besties podcast. Just have fun. I'm like, no, they need, they need some resources. They need some tools, some takeaways. And I think that's a great one is you always say like, I love you. Doesn't mean I don't love you, but this is the boundary. Yeah. And you know, and I think, I mean, to bring this like kind of full circle, I think you and I have definitely had, have had things that come up, especially because when you feel like you know someone so well, it's really easy to make assumptions too. You know, it's really easy to try and fill in gaps or make assumptions or be like, well, they said this, but I I know that they meant that. Like, you know, just, and I think those kind of things just get you in trouble. And I'm definitely guilty of some of those things times where I'm like, well, you know, the person didn't say that, but I know them, right? Because you know your family and you just go, well, I know they, and that's just not fair. It's not fair to the person either, especially if they're, if they're growing up and they're maturing or they're becoming a different person. You know, I think it's, it's important if you want to continue to have a deeper relationship with the, your siblings and with your family members is to actually see them for who they are today and not project who they were five years ago or not project that person. It's so easy because as humans, from a psychological perspective, you know, it's like, we want to make sense of the world. We're like, if I just understand this person, then I can predict their behavior and I can just like know what they mean. Even if they say this, I know they mean this. And like, we just like to have that like control. And so I think even for you and I, especially in this like sort of new chapter of our relationship, and you and I had this conversation. So for people who don't know, Dan works at JillFit and he's full-time and he's the head of operations. And you came on just part-time for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And before you even decided to come on full- part-time, I asked you to come on and you and we had a serious conversation around like, hey, our our friendship and our being siblings is more important than work. So you know, are we committed to honest conversations? I think I said to you like, hey, if you just start this and you decide it's not for you or like it's not panning out, then like let's talk about that. You know, like I don't assume just because you said yes right now that this means yes forever. Like I think, you know, you have to check in with the person. And so even for you and I being in this last like two and a half years of now being in a professional relationship, you know, you have check-ins because professional relationships are different than personal relationships. And so I think it's easy if you're in a work capacity to be like, well, this but then like, but also this, and it's a lot to hold if you're not committed to honest communication. And I think you and I have really had to step up both of those things for the sake of our friendship, the, the sake of our you know family relationship, and also the sake of the business too. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of like my mantras. I'm like, give it oxygen. That's like one of my big Love coaching advice, pieces of advice. That's my, that's like my personal go-to, like give it oxygen, meaning put words to it, say it out loud in, in some capacity. So like when I'm talking to coaches, I'm like, you saw them on the video roll their eyes at your suggestion. 
ask about it. Be like, hey, I noticed you rolled your eyes. What? You, are you not fond of that suggestion? Did Why you don't people do that? Why don't they bring it up? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Cause, and people notice, right? I go, did you, did you notice that so-and-so rolled their eyes or that they kind of like frowned when you made that suggestion? They uh, Nine times out of ten, they go, yeah, I noticed that. And I go, uh, so why didn't you acknowledge it? And just go, I don't know. It's kind of like uncomfortable. So you just jump to the next mm. thing. So I think like I always say give it oxygen, like really call out call out how you're feeling or share, open up how you're feeling or also just just things that you notice. Like, hey, I've noticed this. I'm making it mean something. That's the formula, right? It's like yeah. I noticed this. I'm making it mean this, but I'm sure. The story I'm telling myself is. Right. Is that correct? I think What's Danny, that from? Brene Brown's thing on Netflix, Danny J brings it up on the podcast. Oh, sometimes. does she? Her and Jeff watch it together. Yeah. And I guess she says like, in, if you want to bring something up, you say, can I run this by you? Because the story I'm telling myself is that you, and whatever this, the, and it gives the person opportunity to say, oh, it's actually not at all what I was thinking, you know? And so I think, I think we're even more yeah. susceptible to making those kind of jumps and assumptions when we know the person so well. For sure. And that's the problem too, right? Like a lot of times you're right. Like so many times with my wife, I go, I know she's going to respond this way. And then she does. And I'm just like, God, see. Because the evidence is. I freaking, I freaking called it. But I think there's an element that I could be preempting that a little bit, right? I could be setting her up. Be like, see, gotcha. Like <laughs> that's not cool. Prophecy. Right. It's a little self-fulfilling prophecy. That's not cool. And also you always said like, give, give people at least the chance give them the chance to have their response, give them the chance to have their experience. And, and what, and a lot of times it's funny, like anytime I've noticed that I'm feeling some way, the other person has been feeling similar or has, has a take on the exact same thing. Yeah. And so every time I have discussions, always, it always pans out. And that is probably what we do best. Even if it does historically has taken a couple cocktails, maybe we open up a little bit, but not like, you know, not to get the procession. Like, I don't think it's like 2 a.m. No, you, no. It used to we be all, when we, we were like 21. But yeah, yeah. but not, everybody remembers like, yeah. you know, it's like, it's just, it's just like a cocktail is like enough to loosen. Like, all right, I've been made to say something. And, it, and then it kind of comes up. And I think we're getting better about just just bringing, bringing it up at like Tuesday at 1 p.m. I agree. No, I just want, I yeah. wanted all that on the record for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. But we are getting better, but it's also the greatest we have this thing called christmas in july where we all get together siblings and we've had pretty heavy conversations at these events and they've always turned not only the event better but the relationship deeper um everybody has a greater understanding of each other's world so yeah it's pretty it gets pretty raw man and i think that it comes down to that theme of like give it oxygen just just say it and kind of let the chips fall and then you have to trust like we were talking about at the beginning to bring this full circle a little bit that People can hold it down for you. And honestly, if they can't. Tells you all you need to know, really. It does. And unfortunately, like there may not be a relationship there. And that's okay, too. But at least give them the chance to show up. I think a lot of people don't because they're worried that maybe the person can't hold it down. You know? Like, because then you know, right? It's almost like, and Danny and I talk about this a lot in the podcast. We're just like, look, if, if the relationship is going to be a no, let's get to the no. You know, we can talk about this in sales. If it's going to be a no, let's get to the no. Let's close the loop. Like, I'm very much that way. And I realize that not, not I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 8. We've talked about this before, but like, they're very confrontational. They're more like, they're just direct. They just want to, like, they just want to get down to brass tacks. And I know for a lot of people, that's not comfortable. And so I think, especially if you have emotions like, shame and embarrassment and like your ego type stuff, which comes up a lot in families, then maybe you do sort of not bring things up or you do kind of brush things under the rug or you have pains or you have um, hurts that 
you just go, well, I'm not even going to bring it up because I already know they're going to deny it, or I know it's going to be a fight, or I already know it's going to be a, you know, and yet you're still complaining about it, right? Like you're still, that's how you know you need to bring it up. Yeah. Because it goes by. If you complain three times. Well, and also like the resentment builds. And like, dude, you could be complaining about something that happened when you were 10 and you're 40 and you're going, okay, like that, we got to. We gotta, we gotta move forward from that, don't we? Do you think some relationships are beyond repair in that regard? So, if you're dealing with, if you're 40 and you've had, you've had baggage since you were 10, so 75 percent of your life you've been holding on to that baggage. Like, is there certain relationships that are beyond repair? I will say this: if you have resentment, like decades later, like you're still invested in that relationship, right? Right? Because how you would not be invested is like. You wouldn't feel anything. Right. You would be completely like they're doing their thing, wish them the best. But if you still have resentments and you still have complaints, then that relationship is still a massive emotional, um, it's taking a massive emotional toll on you. Right. And so I do, I believe that at some point, yes, I do believe, but I don't also think that it's a better or worse thing. And I think that when we talk about outgrowing people, this is one of my biggest pet peeves is especially with all the new sort of new age personal development on, especially on social media is very much like if people aren't at the level, then like, you know, it's okay to kick them to the curb. And I'm just like, why does it have to be that? Like, why does it have to be that violent? Like, can't you just be like, person's fine, you know? And then you just, you inoculate your, we talk about this in the podcast, Danny and I, sometimes we talk about like your relationships sort of being in like these levels of rungs, like these rungs of vulnerability. You have like your internal, you have your, your in inner circle of like people who just like know you and you can go to and you feel safe doing that. And then to your point, if maybe one of those people starts to show you that they can't hold it down, maybe they just go to the, the circle out, right? The next level out. Again, it's not a better or worse thing, right? Because who, who knows? I'm sure I'm moving out on circles of other people that I don't know. But I think it's okay to instead just say like, cool, that person is not necessarily safe for this thing, but they're great to go to the movies with. They're great to, you know, like like do a uh, fantasy football league with they're I don't great know why to- you're pointing at me. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe I do believe that wholeheartedly. I do believe that there are there are certain roles that, that people just fill. Like I always talk about I had this friend forever who I would always I'd, I would go and I would share I, doesn't matter what it was like a problem at work, problem with a girl, problem with anything. And this guy would just be like, yeah man, F them. They're dead to us. And I loved it. I needed that. Now, was that helpful for me growing and improving? And no. So I had other friends for that. Like, I went to you for that. Like, all right, like, give me a different way to think about this. I do want to get better. But like, I, I like that all those things were kind of fulfilled. And I got friends, yes, that maybe I just indulge a little fantasy football league with. And that's, that's, that has, that has value to my life. And there's just all these different components. That's a really good, actually a really good way to put it. Like, you don't need everyone to fill every cavity of your needs. Well, and also like, I think there's um, just value. So to your point about like, can you repair, like is every relationship repairable? It's like, I do believe that if you work hard enough, probably, but do you want to? Like, the, I think at the end of the day, you're just like, do I need that person to be in my innermost inner circle or are, are, we, are we good just playing fantasy football together? Or, like hanging out once every, you know, once a year, like I see you once a year and like we bullshit about whatever. And it's fine, you know, and then just being okay with that. I also think it's okay if you're, and I think we see people kind of grow through like high school and college and twenties and thirties and, and whatever, you're gonna, 
your inner circle is probably going to change a little bit based on where you're at in life. And I don't think it's a better or worse thing if someone decides to do something else. Danny talked about this quite a bit because, you know, we have friends that have kids and just by nature, it's not that they're, that their decision is better and ours is worse or theirs is worse and ours is better. They just, we just don't have as much in common anymore. So naturally we've sort of started drifting apart and it's not, a, it's not because there's anything happened. And I think if you, the more okay you can get with those kind of natural ebbs and flows of relationships, but if it is someone whose relationship you really, and this is something, shout out to Jillian Tita, who's my ex-sister-in-law, my ex-husband's, um, my ex-husband's brother's wife. And, um, you know, I really credit her with keeping our, with our relationship close, you know, cause for me, I moved out to LA, left North Carolina, her and I were really close to North Carolina. And she's really done a good job of keeping up with me. And I really appreciate that. She came to my 40th birthday party. Like she's flown out here several times. I've stayed with her when I was in Winston. I don't know that I would have done all of that if she hadn't taken initiative. So I do really appreciate people who want to do want to stay in touch because when I do see them and spend time with them, I'm like, oh, they're fucking awesome. Like I forgot. I just tend to be like in my inner circle and in my world. And so, you know, I would be interested in your take on can are all friendships or all relationships salvageable if someone just works hard enough? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, it's my own question. That's why I like it so much. I don't know. I really don't know. I do think there are probably some that are beyond repair, but for reasons that you probably mentioned, right? So first of all, like, do I, is it even worth repairing to me? But also it's gotta be worth repairing to them. Like if, if relationships are two way streets. Yeah. It can't just be you forcing someone to have a relationship with you. And that's kind of, that's kind of the unfortunate truth. Like if you're pursuing a relationship, like say, we'll keep it on the siblings theme. Like maybe you've, you've grown a little bit apart from your siblings and, and as life changes and as, as that happens and you really want to maintain that relationship. But if your say brother isn't calling you back, never responds to your texts, doesn't, doesn't want to do any of the, you live in separate places. doesn't want to do any of the meetups. Doesn't want to go on the vacations. Doesn't want to meet up for a, for a weekend. Nothing like that. Like to me, I think that probably is at least in that point of time, probably beyond repair. Yeah. But I do think if my brother were to change his mind and I was still invested in the relationship, I do think every relationship has the potential to be repaired, but I don't think it falls all on just you. Right. No, I agree with that. I think that's great. You know, I will say that I think you, you have to put yourself in situations where you grow the relationship too. So just shout out to our brother, Connor. He's the youngest in the family. And he was probably the sibling that I was probably like the least close with. We're always close, obviously, but we just him being the youngest and me being the oldest, right? We have the most years between us. I think it's like 13, 14 years. And in recent, the last couple of years, he's come out to LA a couple of times to visit me and just like by himself, you know, and it was, and we've spent time just the two of us together, but not like days like that, you know? And I really appreciated that because- like we spent a lot of time together that we wouldn't have had. We had a lot of conversations, just the two of us without everyone else in the family. And I think it's important, especially if you have a big family to spend individual time with your siblings, if you want to cultivate those relationships, because they are a different dynamic. It is a different dynamic than having everyone there and everyone with their significant other there, you know, which is timely because we just did a siblings only trip. And a lot of people on social media said that they would never do that. They would never go on a sibling that's only trip because they're like, I could never imagine not bringing my significant other to right. a family trip. And I was kind of surprised by that. I was shocked by that. Yeah, you did a poll on Instagram yeah. and I saw the results and I was, I was really, it was like, it was like 50 50. Yeah, I, I would have said two thirds on the no when yeah. I saw it early on, maybe. 
but yeah, it was really interesting to me the amount of people that, but you made a good point. It's like, well, maybe this amount of people just aren't that close to their siblings. And right. I thought that, that was a good observation. And by the way, like no one has to be close to their siblings either. Right. right? Like just because you're blood, like I've always like just railed against that. You know, I mean, think, I think when you grew up with your siblings and your entire extended family lived in your neighborhood, like our parents' generation, that was kind of what everyone did. Like very few people, our father ended up leaving Boston, but all of his siblings stayed in Boston and all of the, their kids stayed in Boston. And so I think they're just going to naturally probably be closer, but I don't think you even need to. Like, I still think you have to look at things like, do we like spending time together? Do we have commonalities? Do we have common interests? Do we, do we have that level of vulnerability where I feel safe in this relationship or am I just forcing it because you're quote unquote blood? Right. You know, and I've just never believed that you had to do that. Yeah, there's one of one of the best things that you can do to build a close relationship is literally just be around proximity, like just being being close. Isn't that crazy? Like, <laughs> that joke that I'm always just like, look, you got to be in this. You got to you got to stay relevant. You got to stay crew. relevant in this crew. You do, man. You got to have a physical <laughs> presence in this crew, and that's true. Like, and it makes it makes total sense. Like, you and I got the closest when I lived with you. Yeah, Connor and I got so close when we lived together. Yeah. And there's definitely something too, like, damn, there was a, there's, I think like in the forties, maybe forties or fifties, it was like 30% of the people married someone who lived within two blocks damn. and like 15% of people married someone in their building. So you, so like falling in love, finding the one, most people found the one in their building, which <laughs> is so just crazy. fucking crazy, but it just right. speaks to just proximity. Right. So it speaks actually to the point of Jillian Tita who you mentioned who did a great mm -hmm. job of staying in touch with you. So first of all, just a couple points on this is one of the regrets of the dying. You've heard the top five regrets of the dying that mm -hmm. by uh, the hospice nurse. It's a book by Bronnie Ware. And one of them is I wish I stayed in touch with people. Mm. That's a huge one for people. And it's so easy to do, but it's also easy not to do. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of people just kind of fall out of touch. Like I have friends who do we just fell out for no reason other than just life. Man, circumstance. We just don't talk. Anymore. Really good friends, good people in my life, and I'm reminded that now as I'm speaking that I'm a. Re I'll shoot him a text today. Say, hey, man, I hope you're all right. But it doesn't it doesn't cost much to reach out? And those things those things carry a lot of weight. Whether it is just little texts or trying to schedule time to get together. So we have always done the Christmas in July thing. I do think it's important that we get together as siblings at least once a year and have time together. But yeah, proximity, reaching out. These are small things like that. You can you can just you are under your control. One of the things that I do, and I feel like our dad is really good at this. Like he has friends that he's literally been in touch with like for five decades, 60 years. Yeah. yeah. Like he's, you know, we'll talk to someone he grew up with in Dorchester, like Massachusetts. Like and also if you're in the town, Oh, you're in Vermont. You should stop by. Paul lives there. And you're just like, who's Paul? He's like, don't worry about it. Show up. He's got a room for you and a hot supper. <laughs> yeah. <he is. laughs> He is, he's definitely really good at that. And, you know, I think you, this also goes to, and I know this is really obvious, but if you cultivate relationships, you want to spend more time with them. So for example, if you don't feel like you have a close relationship with one of your parents, it's going to be a lot, the, the activation energy to go to Thanksgiving is going to be a lot worse. You're like, fuck, how long do I have to be there? Like, you know what I mean? You're kind of like, but if you are, I'm so close to your mom that I now spend Christmas with your mom. And you guys, because you guys are with her and her and I have been so close because I feel like I can be myself right? and I have a great time and I don't feel like I'm a kid, you know, and all the th kind of things we think about the, the parent children dynamics, like I have a blast. I get to be myself. And so, you know, I think 
and this is for parents too, to create safety for their own children to grow into who they're going to be and to change the dynamic from parent to child to more peer relationship, friend to friend, you know, and your mom and I, and I know you guys have had, you guys are all really close with your mom too. And we're obviously really close with dad that I want to spend time with them. If you don't cultivate the relationship where there just isn't a level of closeness, you're going to find yourself not wanting to go and see them once a year, like you said. Right. The you activation know? energy is so much higher. So much higher. Yeah. Right? Because then this just becomes a checkoff. Right? Then it doesn't become like, I can't wait to see you. Like Christmas It's an obligation. And, yeah. Right. Like Christmas in July, I look forward to every year, no matter what we do, whether it's with significant others, without significant others, some people, less people, more people. I always look forward to it. But if I am like making myself check the box out of guilt- that like, oh, fuck, I got to see my – because what did you tell – I think you were the one who told me like at this age, like if your parent lives across the country, you only see them like a handful more times, right? Like that's really the thing. It's like crazy how yeah, that the math off. The math of seeing them – I forget who – this is like a presentation. Uh, the guy, I can see his face. It's uh, Sarah Blakely's husband, the uh, oh, yeah, Spanx yeah. founder, Jesse. Itzler. Itzler. Yeah. Love this guy. Yeah. And he gave this speech and he basically did the math of loved ones. So he, that was his whole topic. He's like, all right, so how often do you see your parents? Twice a year. Twice If a they year. live across the country, yeah. Yeah. And, well, and now and nowadays, like a lot of us don't, at least not by both parents, right? right? Like, or there's there's distance between them. So even, even people who do live in town, you start going like, how often do you see them? Like they live in town. Even when I was living in Austin, I probably saw dad depending on time of year, but at times once a month. So you just go, that's 12 times a year. And you go, dad's 72. The average age in America is 76. So you just go, all right, four years times for you, say you see him once a year. So you're going to see dad four more times. That's and terrifying. A, a forecast. Yeah, that's terrifying. Right. So you have four more sessions with him, which is uh, just doing doing math, not to scare you, dad. I'm just saying that it, like once you think about that, you just go, damn, like I see my mom once a year. You sort of do the average age of an American female. You just go, damn, that's a dozen more times in my life. That's that's not not a lot lot. of times. Right. Yeah. And it just goes, and it just makes you be a little bit more intentional for sure. You know, and, and also decide like, okay, do I, you know, do I want this person to pass or do I want this person to leave my life without me telling them? Right. How I feel, you know, Keith, I just had Keith on the podcast for the best life. And we, we talked a little bit about his mom and their relationship. And he said, he asked me like what one of my regrets was when I was younger or something like that. And he said, one of his regrets was maybe not, not, um, say like I want to say, uh, saving, not solving, but more like um, cultivating his, our good relationship with his mom. She he did once she kind of got sick, she got terminal cancer. But you know he was like, I really regret like not you know like having a better relationship with her, cultivating a better relationship when I was younger. And so I think you know that's the thing too is as your parents get older thinking about like, okay, what have I not, what have I not said? Whether it's, whether it's a confrontational thing or a loving thing, I just think about how many people don't say things like I love you or you mean a lot to me because it just makes you feel so vulnerable. But those are the things that sometimes people just really need to hear to get to that next level of connection, to get to that next level of relationship is to say like, Hey, I just really appreciate that. Just so you know, this time really means a lot to me or just like, I don't take this for granted. Or even some of those, I'm, I'm like getting choked up even talking about it, but like, so many people don't say those things because it feels so vulnerable, but those are things that deepen the relationship. Right. You know, it's like, say that, like, say it, you're thinking it, just say it. You know, I mean, so many of us are, can easily give compliments to someone walking down the street. Oh my God, I love that dress. Or like, oh my God, those are such cute shoes, but we don't do it to the people closest to us because it feels even more vulnerable to say, 
you know, I just really respect you, or I just really admire how you did that. Or I just, you know, I just want you to know that that means so much to me. I don't take that for granted. You know, my mom and I just went uh, to Vegas for three days and my mom, and we went for her 70th birthday. She turned 70 last December. And I said, well, let me take you. And she wanted to go to Vegas and we went to shows and it was fun. And like two weeks after our trip, I messaged her. I just sent her a voice note and I just said, Hey, I was just thinking about this. And I said, you know, I just want you to know, and I know you do it for you. I said, but I want you to know what a gift it is to me that you're as healthy as you are at 70. I said, I don't take that for granted. You know, the fact that like we were able to do everything that we did and you traveled and like, you know, and a 70 is not, it's not like old, but it's like, like I know some seven year olds that can't get around, you know? And so I just said, you know, the fact that you're healthy, we were able to walk the whole time. Like, you know, I don't take that for granted. I know you, I know you stay healthy for you, but just so you know, I really appreciate it because it makes, it just makes our, our, our trip so much better. You know, so stuff yeah. like that, that just when it hits you, it's okay to say it in that moment. Yeah, I do every year I do Christmas letters. So at Christmas I write people in my life or that year or try to do like I try to do everybody in the family every year, but I don't know, I'm not perfect, but it's just like a time at the end of the year where I write these these letters to siblings, parents, maybe even a couple friends like and at first they're pretty vulnerable. They're pretty raw. They're just like things that happened over the year, things I noticed. It's exactly what you're saying, but it allows me something around Christmas. It's like my cue to be mm-hmm. like, okay, pause, starting a new year, reflect back on the past year, but also express what the people in my life mean to me. And it's been a really powerful exercise for me. I think a really good relationship builder for me. And I've even doing it for like friends that are guys. It's weird to get a letter from a guy friend. And just being like, I love you, man. Like, you're great. Like, hey, this year, like, we did a couple things that meant a lot to me. And, you you know, you probably didn't even notice or whatever. But, like, I I kind of, they're pretty raw. And it's funny, like, how moving they are to people. But that's Mm -hmm. just, it's a good, that's my practice for, I'm not as good as doing it in the moment. And I should be. But uh, it's a good, like, just pause every Christmas, like, all right, take the time, write the letter, and just like a single page letter to every, everybody in my life. And that's, that's been my tool for that. Yeah, it's good. You know, I think sometimes we don't reach out, you know, especially if we haven't talked to someone in like two years, right? We're like, fuck, we're going to call this person. Like, you know, when I, like, dad's funny, that dude will just do a check in. He'll call somebody I haven't talked to in like 10 years and be like, hey, I was thinking about you. And I'm like, dude, that takes so much activation energy. I'm like, dude, you know, you're going to be on the phone for like two hours, right? But he didn't care. But I've actually started doing it a little bit more. But I'm like, I know myself and I don't want to be on the phone for two hours with someone catching up. So I'll just send a voice note. And I'll just, I think it's like a good like mid step to like, maybe we can work our way up to a conversation, like, like on, like an on the phone conversation. But for me, I'm just like, Hey, I'm thinking about you. And then I'll always say, and I also know people are busy, right? Cause they're probably like, fuck, now I got to respond to this person, you know, not that they don't like me or appreciate it, but I'm sure they're probably like, ah, I got to find time to call her back or, so I just always say like, Hey, no need to respond. Like you kind of, if you want to be like, just no need to respond. I just wanted you to know that I was thinking about you and I just really appreciate who you are in the world. And like this thing happened and made me think of you and like, you're the best and I hope that things are great. Like even stuff like that, giving people permission not to have to respond right away, you know, or not to have to call you back or leave because some people don't want to do that. You know, some right. people don't want to be on that level of you know emotional i don't know like uh vulnerability either yeah that's that's a good point too and and that's i don't expect a letter in return for christmas right like the letters are more for me than anything but to express that there's shout out to the research martin seligman he uh did they're called gratitude visits so he's like this i got this exercise from him where he did a study on you write someone in your life a letter but you go read it to him 
And then he measured just kind of like the responses. They found six months after they read the letter, like just healthier immune function, higher mm-hmm. levels of joy and happiness and peace. They were quick, quicker to recover from emotions like anger or resentment. Like they just had a quicker response time. Even those in a group that didn't read to the person, they just wrote the letter of gratitude, never shared it. It's like it's significantly more powerful if you share it with them in some capacity, giving it to them or speaking it to them. Uh, but even just writing it, a letter of appreciation can actually boost a lot of stuff for you. So yeah, you can't do it with the expectation to your point. Like you can't do it with the expectation, like a, a tit for tat. That's not the point. Like it has to be kind of has to be for you. Like I want to reach out. I want to do my best to keep in touch. And to my point about all relationships being repairable, like it may not, like you may reach out 20 times and never get a response from somebody. It still has to be for you. And then at some point, maybe you just go, you know, I'm not going to reach out anymore. And, but that also has to be for you, your choice, like not to show them or, stick it to them or anything like that. So I like that you do that where you just kind of leave it open. It's like you don't have to respond or at least not respond right away. I think my feelings would be hurt if they didn't respond to a voice. <laughs> See, I don't because I just know that people are doing their shit, right? Like I'm just like, you know, I'm reaching out to my high school best friend. She's got three kids. She's running a business, you know, like if she, and I always, I'm so grateful when she gets back, but like, and she reached out to me all the time, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. but it's just like, yeah, maybe we don't have to, you shouldn't have an hour. You know what I mean? To talk to me. There is no hour. So yeah, I feel like there's all these different ways that I think you can show people appreciation. If you, if you really want to deepen the connection, it's possible. I think, you know, one of the things I do love about our generation is we just have so many more tools than our parents did. You know, we have the Brene Browns and we have, you know, all this men's work and we have, you know, therapy is way more common now. It's not taboo as, as much as it used to be. And so I feel just so grateful that we have these tools for communication, which our parents didn't, right? I mean, I think that's a lot of reason why like a lot of our grandparents were alcoholics and gambling addicts and stuff like that. You just, they didn't have the tools, you know? And I feel like we're, we're definitely getting there this stuff. Yeah. You see it in our relationships amongst our, our siblings anyway, to tie it all together. We're very close. And I think we've, because we've had those tools. And, and we've all, and I feel like we've all had like hard conversations too. I feel like that deepens the connection too. I don't know that you can have a deep conversation without having some confronting conversations. You can have a superficial relationship where everything's good all the time. And some people are good with that. Talk about the weather. I'm a big weather guy. Yeah. You're a small talk guy. I do like a little small talk, which is good too. Nice little dosage of small talk. Just throw it in there. I don't What's the harm? Of talking about someone's hometown, man. <laughs> Love it. What's for dinner? What are you doing this weekend? Yeah. What, what, I would crush it at a water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely would. Too bad you work from home. Yeah. Um, all right, y'all. Well, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation <laughs> and um, gave you some stuff to think about. would love your feedback on this. If you want, if you are not in our close Facebook group, please go to thebestlifepodcast.com and click on the link to join our free Facebook group. We have a lot of conversations in there. Interested in your take on this. Do you guys have someone in your life who you want to maybe cultivate a better relationship with? Maybe they are someone in your family. Maybe they're a close friend. Maybe someone you lost touch with would be interested on sort of like you know what your game plan is how you're feeling about that what you're scared of and you know like everything we talk about the best life i don't think these things are very simple solutions i don't think it's just like one conversation and we're good to go i think it's probably ends up you know just being a series of conversations over time that help you develop a new relationship with that person or you know a new um dynamic with that person. So interesting your take on that. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for your time and attention. And we'll plug Dan's podcast one more time. Take care radio. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, make sure you guys download it, subscribe. It drops every Friday. 
And Dan does a great job uh, talking about everything from psychology to coaching to relationships. I think you guys are really eat it up. It definitely is in line with what we talk about here. So go listen and then give Dan some feedback. What's your Instagram? At Take Care Radio Podcast. At Take Care Radio Podcast. At It's Danny Coleman. At It's Danny Coleman. Don't forget the it's. It's. All right, y'all. Well, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for your time and attention. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.